Welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell and Men's Divorce Podcast. I'm Scott Trout, Managing Partner and CEO of Cordell and Cordell. We continue to bring you this podcast twice each week with great topics and 10 to 15 minutes of just packed full podcasts. And again, today is no different. And keep in mind, uh, we'd like for you to have a consultation. This isn't uh, any legal advice during the podcast, and it can't replace that initial consult. It's so critical to get the facts of your case. Uh, and also no attorney-client privilege or relationship in this. So just keep that in mind. Give us a call at 866-DADS-LAW, and you can schedule a consultation around the country, including the United Kingdom. We have offices near you. And so go to our website and just check it out, and also check out our social media as well as our YouTube page, where it's filled with podcasts and virtual town halls. We just did a virtual town hall this past Thursday. Uh, if you missed that, check it out, the replay on YouTube. You can register for the April town hall where you can log in, Ask questions live of the panel of Cordell and Cordell attorneys and get answers right then and right there. So check it out. Go to CordellCordell.com and get registered for the next town hall coming up in April. So let's get started with the podcast today. We're joined by lead litigator Misty Dennis down in Houston, Texas. Welcome. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, so today we're going to talk about protecting separate property. And that's always a really good a topic because many guys overlook it. They just walk into a divorce. They say, let's just get things moving, get it divided, or they have questions typically about how to uh, protect it. What do I do? I mean, I always get the question one, which is how do I hide money? And that's a whole separate story. And we can't really give you the answers because otherwise we'd have so many clients that'd be out the door because there is no good answer for hiding money because you shouldn't. But the point is, is protecting your assets is another thing. And, and proper planning and strategy and getting a consult with an attorney who practices exclusively in family law, like we do and you do, that's always key. So today, I know you want to talk about protecting your property uh, before marriage, during marriage, and during divorce. And that's a really great um, stair step into this analysis. And really, we can start with before marriage and one which we haven't really talked about a lot, and that's uh, premarital agreements, right? Absolutely. So one of the best ways to protect your separate assets prior to marriage is by entering into a premarital agreement. Um, every state is different, actually, with regards to what is considered separate property and what's considered uh, not separate property. Um, one of the keys to having a premarital agreement in the state of Texas, where I practice, is that in Texas, Income from separate property is community property. And so if you have a house or some rental property and you're earning income from that during the marriage, then that becomes marital assets or marital income. So one of the best things that you can do prior to marriage is by entering into a premarital agreement because you have the ability to protect the income from your separate property during the marriage. It's the best way to earmark what you had prior to marriage, to have a, an, a clear accounting of your accounts and what's in your accounts and what you know, houses or cars or whatever it is you have by listing them in this premarital agreement and by protecting any growth in those accounts or protecting any uh, growth in the equity of your houses and making sure that if you do make money from those assets, which are separate prior to your marriage, that those assets remain separate during the marriage and, you know, in the case of a divorce. 
Yeah, you know that we had a question yesterday during the virtual town hall about premarital agreements, and there was one in place, and there was questions about the valuation that uh, that were assigned to the property, um, and there are very specific rules when it comes to that, and you have to be very careful, and timing is always one of them, and you know it's a very delicate topic anyway when you're getting ready to get married and you start dropping the bomb, hey, can we sign a prenup? And you know it's there's ways around it, but it's worth certainly worth if you're coming into a marriage and there's property. Maybe it's your second marriage, maybe it's more, and you know you you don't want to go through this process if it happens, if it doesn't work out again, and it's a really good option. But you mentioned it, you kind of alluded to it, and that is uh, commingling, keeping your funds separate. That's huge. I know that's uh, also maybe a delicate topic, but especially if you have, I, I met with a guy who was getting ready to get married and he, his family had wealth and they started giving him part of their estate planning was to give him trust distributions. And so we had a conversation about what to do with it, prenup or keeping your money separate. So that's a key component of protecting your assets, right? That's that's correct. Commingling. Oftentimes what happens is when people get married, they decide, okay, we're going to have a joint bank account and I'm going to move my $20,000 in my bank account and you move your sometimes $5,000 from one bank account. We'll put it in one bank account and then we're going to live. And then at the end, they're like, but I had this $20,000 when I started. Well, unfortunately, the mistake you made is by putting all of that money together. It's so important if uh, you have great sums of money or you have some money, even if it's just five or $10,000 that you want to make sure that you protect as your separate property, that you do not put them in a, an account with your spouse. And though this may be a, a, a separate topic for another day, one of the biggest mistakes I see people doing is commingling their debt. Mm -hmm. combining student loans and putting them together. It's so important that, you know, you protect what's yours before marriage because we never know what's going to happen. Um, and the same thing goes for debt. So the best thing to do is to keep those things separate when you go into the marital relationship. Yeah. And being organized. And I had a client talk about, uh, it was their second marriage for him, second marriage for her, and they got married and uh, he took money from the sale of his previous home and he was going to use it to as a down payment on a purchase of the home in joint names. And, uh, you know, there's always, you know, recording and keeping documents and keeping the closing statement. Uh, you know, one of the things I've had historically look at is they want to know the source. You know, there's a contribution rule in Missouri where it, now it's commingled, but maybe you can argue, hey, I, I contributed, you know, separate property and I should get that set aside. Well, our challenge was where did the money come from? How much was it tracing it back to clearly separate funds from a, you know, a previous sale of, a, of an acquired property? And so I would uh, think that being organized and having statements or accounts or closing statements showing the balances, deposits at the, you know, at the time are important. Absolutely. So one of the things I like to tell my clients is, uh, in addition to doing maybe a premarital agreement, is the day or week before you get married, get a printout of what's in your accounts. Print out a current statement, keep them in some place safe, either your safe deposit box or wherever you keep your, your documents because it's important that you have those documents. A lot of times, if you're going through a divorce and it's 10, 15, 20 years later, you can't recreate those documents. A bank can't go back 20 years ago and tell you what was in your account as of that time. So if you print out a statement and hold on to it, at least 
if this becomes an issue that you have to litigate, you can pull out that statement you had from a couple of days before your wedding or a couple of days, you know, a couple of weeks before marriage and say, at least as of this date, I know this what was in my retirement account. This is what was here. Um, that is also a really good way of trying to help protect what was there, especially if there is some commingling. And exactly what you said, Scott, when somebody sells a house and then they want to put that money into another house, keeping copies of the documents from the sale of the house, a copy of the closing documents, a copy of the check, all of those things will help you if it is something that you ultimately have to litigate down the line. Being organized is really going to be your, your best tip in making sure that you're protecting those assets. Even in the toughest of times, there are usually opportunities for relief. Many husbands and dads listening now are struggling to stay current on alimony and child support orders. You should know that this crisis may allow you to modify your support obligations, but time is of the essence. If you're a guy needing help right now, not someday when things are back to normal, call us at Cordell & Cordell. This is what we do. Yeah, and you, no one wants to think about that, you know, that, oh, it may end in divorce, let me be organized now. But, you know, it's just generally a good thing. I mean, you never know what's going to come up. You know, if, for example, taxes. Hey, I remember I had sold uh, a house and they're like, oh, I want the closing statement. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that was almost a year ago. You want the closing statement? And I had to dig and mm -hmm. find it. I mean, it's just generally good practice in life anyway. So let's transition to during the marriage. Um, what is uh, partition and exchange agreements? So a partition and exchange agreement is what it's like a postnuptial agreement. It's an agreement that you enter into during the marriage. And what that does is you can transfer community property to separate property. And it's also a way of making sure that you're clearly identifying separate property that you may have received during the marriage. For an example, an inheritance or a gift. If for an example, you are you and you are gifted a house while you are married to somebody else, and you want to make sure that that house is clearly earmarked as your separate property. A partition and exchange agreement would actually be a good way of doing that because you can sign basically a contract with your spouse that says, "Hey, we are making sure that this is identified as a separate asset," and you can do that even again with community assets. If you and your spouse purchase a piece of property together but you are gifting your interest in that property to your spouse as their separate property, then you can do that through a partition and exchange agreement. So it's a good way to um, protect and identify assets that could be identified as separate assets during the marriage. Yeah, that's huge. But, uh, you know, you, the temptation is, well, you know, she and I had an agreement. I mean, we just decided, uh, like a lot of things, whether it's reduction of child support or a visitation, or, but during the marriage, but yeah, we agreed this was my separate property, but they never reduced it to writing. Is that uh, a problem for that person? Absolutely, because um, there's no such thing as a verbal agreement. It, do, it doesn't matter. And a lot of times, even signing a document between the spouses, I'm going to write it on a piece of paper and I'm going to say, hey, this is, hey, I'm gifting this to you. Um, this comes up a lot, and it, it actually comes up a lot in what we consider interspousal gifts, where um, my husband gifts me with a $20,000 diamond ring and yeah, you assume it's a gift, but then during the divorce, it's like, well, that was an investment. You know, that was an 
investment piece for us. Well, having a, a, a partition and exchange agreement or having some document, some contract that's signed and notarized, identifying that piece of property, this $20,000, $30,000 diamond as separate property will definitely help you uh, down the line. All right, let's transition to kind of what we were alluding to, which is the divorce part. Let's say parties have filed divorce, you know, and inevitably there's always some question, at least a super majority of the clients that I meet with have some sort of question about separate property, whether it's what we discussed and it could be money towards a home, it could be things that were inherited, gifts given to them by family members. You know, inheritance is always a big deal. I, I was just talking to also someone who inherited quite a bit of money and we, the question was, what do they do with it? Uh, because they were contemplating divorce. And so what is it that, that clients, you know, or people listening, really should be thinking about if they're going through a divorce or getting ready to go through a divorce. Um, are there witnesses, experts, what should be done in order to help prove that? Absolutely. So you can identify separate property in, in three ways through lay testimony, that's you testifying as to what it is, through expert testimony, and that's hiring a forensic accountant to go through and trace the funds and trace the origin of the funds, and really through documentation, which is something that we've been talking about from the very beginning, making sure that you have the documents to substantiate these things that you're saying is your separate property. Um, so during a, a trial or a hearing, you can offer any of these three three methods in trying to determine your separate property. However, it's important to note that when you're identifying separate property, the standard that the court is looking for is what we call clear and convincing, which is a very heightened standard. There's no uh, substantial, it, it seems like it could be his, it has to be very, very clear through the testimony and through the documentation that this property is your separate property. So having experts um, is usually going to be your best bet in doing that, experts and documents. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such a, at least here in my experience in Missouri, and, and obviously in the jurisdiction you're listening from, it may be a little bit different, but judges don't have a lot of tolerance, if, especially if there's commingling. If I've had clients roll money through a joint account right out into a separate, and albeit we could trace it, they're like, look, they commingled it. You know, in Missouri, it's, you know, all assets acquired during the marriage are marital, and if it's commingled, it's marital, and it just loses its nature as separate property. And so, you know, there's planning, there's ways to do it. Now, if there is some question, as you suggest, expert testimony is the way to do it. Forensic accounting, I can tell you that client I had years ago didn't want to spend the money and we just spent hours tracing, trying to source the, you know, funds and what was used and it took us forever uh, and to put it into a spreadsheet that we could present to the court. Um, and, you know, this goes back to where you suggested before marriage or even during just keeping relevant documents and just being able to have those ready is really the thing that you need to think about. Um, so there is something, I guess, particular in Texas that really wouldn't be here in Missouri that I'm not aware of, but what is uh, the inception of title rule? So the inception of title rule means that they go back to look to see when the particular asset was acquired to determine whether or not that asset is a separate or community asset. Um, one of the things that happens a lot here is, for an example, with houses, there's a list, a long list of rules to determine when is the actual inception of title. Well, in 
Texas, your inception of title begins when you sign that contract to purchase that house. Hmm. What happens a lot of times is that you buy this house, you live into, you live in it jointly, you refinance the house, hmm. and now both spouses' names are on the mortgage. So you, they come up and they say, "Well, this is a community asset now because you know I'm on the mortgage." Well, it's not. Inception of title means when was the asset initially acquired? And that's how they determine whether or not it's a separate asset or a community asset. And the rules are very specific here in Texas. Long list of different assets to determine, you know, if it's a bank account, then the inception of title is, you know, at the moment you make the, the deposit. If it's a house, it's when you sign the contract. If it's a car, it's when you sign the contract. So it's a, a long list of specific rules, depending on what the asset is, to help the court in determining whether that asset could be considered a community asset or a separate asset. Right. It's a really helpful area of the law that we just don't have. In Missouri, and I know people listening, you know, may want to check that out and see something that actually can assist them in in getting the property based on the inception of title. That's huge. So, I appreciate. You know, one of the things it's just you think about it. Guys come in um, and they get this, or we ask them to complete a uh, a statement of property, like list out what you have. And some of them look at it as a nuisance, and they just hurry through it. And they don't list out things that may be theirs prior to the marriage because they make assumptions. Well, of course, I brought it into the marriage. I'm going to keep it. Well, you can't make those assumptions because that depends on what the judgment's ultimately going to say. That's, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but it's so important to identify the things that you think are separate, that you want to be separate. Have a conversation with your attorney and, and develop a strategy to get there and maybe utilize the inception of title rule. So that's great stuff. Well, Misty, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Great information for guys on, on how to deal with separate property and to keep it. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having it. And hopefully it was helpful. And again, you, what you said is absolutely on point. You need to talk to an attorney because every state has different rules and you never know what is really yours and what you should be trying to protect. Yeah. Well, I learned something today and that's always a good thing every time we do these. So I appreciate it. Good deal. Well, join us twice each week. Uh, we'll do this right here, just like this. Again, you can check us out on YouTube. All of our podcasts, all of our virtual town halls are sitting right there. You can just spend the weekend going through and finding the topic that affects you most. But as Misty said, you want to get a consult with an attorney who practices exclusively in family law and even board certified like Misty is in Texas. So give us a call, 866-DADS-LAW. Find us on the web, Cordell, Cordell. Dot com. If you have questions you want us to answer in the virtual town hall uh, coming up in April, you can send us an email. You can send that to townhalls at cordellaw.com, townhalls at cordellaw.com. Until next time, have a great week. <laughs>